say, uh, Lisa and I really had a nice October, whatever, Pastor's Appreciation Month. You guys have been so generous to us, and Jessica, you brought me cookies, which I'm eyeing right now. They're really nice. Thank you all for, thank you for appreciating us. That means a lot to us. Um, as we begin our, our study this morning on Proverbs, I just want to tell you today is at least PG. It might be PG-13. Okay, so you might have some questions afterwards that, you know, your wife needs to answer for you. So, uh, all right. Sensitive men, all right. All right, so if you take your uh, worship folder, Proverbs 5, I'm going to have you read a few verses here. We're going to look at different sections of Proverbs 5 today and even jump over to a couple other passages. But it is about the wisdom of the Bible about sex today. That's why I said it was PG. All right, let's read God's word together. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Now, there's a, there's a few things just right here in this passage. There are certain sins, there are certain iniquities that are hard to come back from. There are ones, this scripture says, particularly having to do with sexual immorality, that ensnare you and hold you fast. Now, there are a lot of us that we've come to understand that we are in a right relationship with God through grace, through the righteousness of Christ. By, by faith alone, we've come into a right standing with God. But what happens is a lot of times we think, well, I can experiment with this. I can try a little of that. Surely God won't mind if I do this. But what happens, this scripture says, is that because your soul is attached to your body, and your soul is integrated with your body. Your soul gets tangled up with what your body does. So that, you're not like a pearl, that if you put it in the mud and you just wash it off and it's still a pearl. You get entangled with these things. They attach to you. They are hard to detach from. And he's saying here that, that there is a a, a, an intoxication. Really, what he means here is there is something chemical that happens when you give yourself over to illicit, immoral things. There's something that happens in the brain. And the brain becomes addicted to it. And so even though you long for release, it is not easy once you have entangled yourself with illicit things. And so the, the, the word here is to have wisdom about the way your heart navigates the realities of sex. Now, one of the things I'd, I'd like to remind you is that your heart isn't just your emotions. The biblical idea of heart is your heart is that truest place, that, that realm that you are in control of. It's the realm of your deepest commitments 
It's the realm where you don't just believe things and assent to them, but you really functionally trust these things. It's what comes out of you when you are most pressed or when you are alone. And so the managing of your heart in regard to sexuality will determine, this scripture says, whether you are wise or foolish. But even more than that, it says you die for lack of discipline in this area. It doesn't just say you, you have a bad day. It says you die for lack of discipline in this area. And because of this great folly, you get led astray. So the wisdom that you have about your sexuality, Proverbs is saying, is essential for navigating life with confidence and competence. Now, it's interesting. You know, I look around the room, and not everybody in this room is male. Kind of notice that. All right. But every one of these, every one of these proverbs that we're going to look at is, is directed toward males. And so it'd be easy in some ways for the women to, to check out on me a little bit here. But the truth is, this book, this book of wise sayings and, and the way it's compiled and the way it comes together was basically a training manual for young men. The wise, uh, older men of that generation took these wise sayings and they drilled these things into the minds of the young men to prepare them for adulthood. And so even though the directs, it's almost like a Boy Scout manual. And even though the directions are primarily towards the male, it is not hard here to look and say, ooh, the things that it's saying for the males are also things that we can glean and understand for the females as well. And so as you look at this book, don't, don't just think of it as just this male-centered kind of thing, but its specific purpose was like in a school to train young men to be men. And then later on in the, some of the later chapters, there's even sections that the king's used to train the government officials so that they could be godly government officials. So this, this book has this very powerful purpose, and it is to share the godly spiritual wisdom of the older men to the younger men, telling them what marriage should be and how they should enter into marriage. Now, here's probably one of the most explicit teachings about marriage and sex in this whole passage. And it starts at verse 15 and goes to verse 19. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, cistern and well is the biblical imagery of female sexuality. This is, when you understand this, it is saying that, the, that a woman's sexuality is a cistern, a well. And then, Notice this next part. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Well, the streams of water or the fountain here is uh, the biblical imagery for male sexuality. So it's saying, sisters, you got a cistern. <laughs> and brothers, you got a fountain. Now look, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. It's biblical Viagra. Or a Cialis. I don't know which one. Some, I've lost some of the men. They're praying for blessing right now. 
Some of their wives are also praying. I'm telling you, it's explicit. Once you get the imagery, you're starting to go, okay, drink water. for. Okay, I know what that means now. And should you be scattering your springs all over the place? You kind of know what that means now, right? In other words, he's saying, young men, that's for your wife. Young men, there's only one well for you. Don't be going all over town. Casual sex is out. If you want to be biblically wise. Look at what it says in verse 17. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Very explicit, very clear. And then the thing that most of us fail to understand is the Bible has this very high view of marriage. There is a celebration of marital sexuality in the scriptures. <laughs> some, of us, some of us have the mistaken notion that the Bible is prudish or that in some ways it wants you to have children but not like it. In other words, that sex is a necessary evil to be endured. I was teaching on this one time, and this old lady, little old lady, but I can't remember how old, she was a lot older than me anyway. And uh, she, goes, she goes, oh, that's what I thought. That it was just this necessary evil. I wasted all those years? I said, yes, you did, ma'am. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> but look at what it says in verse 19. It's, it says, uh, 18 and 19, let your fountain, men, this is you, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice. How is the fountain blessed? Rejoicing in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Look at what it says. That's straight up scripture. I didn't say that. It says you should be drunk in your, with your wife, you know, with her beauty, with her, with her, you know, that she belongs to you. You know what fascinates me is we invest, we invest energy and time and all kinds of stuff in things that will never satisfy we reject that which will satisfy. Remember, the thing that is fascinating, I've been married 36 years. And, uh, th 36, 35, I'm getting ahead of myself. Going on 36. Uh, the thing that fascinates me is that for all 35 years, my wife would rather be with me than any other person. Like, many of our fights in the early days was because I was going off to be with my friends when she wanted me to be with her. And so I, I'm, I'm, like, mad at her and angry with her because she's not letting me be with my friends. When the most beautiful, the most intoxicating woman in the world wanted me to forego going out with my friends so that I could be with her. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a while, too long to figure out it's stupid to keep investing yourself in that which has no loyalty to you whatsoever. You know, the world will not make you beautiful. They will critique your beauty. They will not make you beautiful. But the love of another person makes you beautiful. 
This is what he's saying in this passage. Now, there's this combination of attitudes in Proverbs 5 that you've got to get, and that some, somehow we, we don't always see them as combined, and that is this incredibly positive attitude towards sex and a very high view of marriage. And that in the days of King Solomon and, and beyond, you didn't marry the person you loved. You married the person who could economically secure you a better place. You didn't marry someone because you had romantic feelings for them. You married them so they could have children. No one married for love. No one married for companionship. And yet the Bible teaches, teaches from, and this is, I mean, this is thousands of years ago, friends. The Bible teaches that God intended you to celebrate in marriage, to be intoxicated with your marriage partner, and to have a celebration of sex in your marriage. And not only that, but in Proverbs 2.17, it says your spouse is to be your most intimate friend. Guess what that means? That means your spouse is your equal. Not your property. Not someone you have domination and control over. Your intimate friend. Your intimate friend is always your equal. See, there are many cultures in many days, in the days that Proverbs were written, that a woman was nothing more than a possession. But here we have in the scripture that the wife of your youth, the wife that you choose, should be the wife that you're intoxicated with and that you rejoice in your sexuality together and you are intimate friends with one another. The greatest thing in my life is my wife is my best friend. Nothing is better to me than that. Now, let me press on. You seem to be tracking with me a little bit here. All right, so <clears throat> Proverbs 30, 18 through 20. Now, here's what I want you, I want you, to, I want you to see and hear how God intends sex to be in marriage. This is a Hebrew poetic form where it says there are three things and then there are four things. This is, a, this is poetry of the day. Maybe it was the hip-hop of that day. I don't know, you know. Okay, so, but here's, here's, here's what it's saying. It is these three first things explain the fourth thing. These three first things show you pictures of how the fourth should be. And they're all connected. So look at the first three. There are three things that are too amazing for me Four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. Anybody seen an eagle in the sky? Powerful, right? Beautiful. Majestic. I mean, when you see the eagle in its place, the eagle is not the sky. The eagle is invading a territory that's not its own. But when he's in his right place, you see that eagle just glide, soaring. And one of the pictures in the scripture is, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Guess what it's saying here? It's saying that's the way your marriage should be. That's the way your marriage should be. Now, the other thing, and this one may seem strange, but what he's talking about in the second one is there should be movement, propulsion. The way of a snake on a rock. A snake and a rock are not one. They're two separate things, but when you see the snake, it can traverse a rock without legs. Able to move in such a way 
And it moves in such a way with power, but yet it's able to handle the rock very easily. The way of a ship on the highest seas. I mean, a ship is not the sea. But when you see a ship with its sails unfurled and with the wind in it, you just go, whoa, that's beautiful. It's majestic. Now, all of these, all three of these can be, can also, if they're not rightly done or rightly considered, they can all be bad. I mean, if I just, if I sneak up on a, you know, step on a snake when I don't see it's there, it's not majestic to me. It scares the crap out of me. You know, I've seen sometimes, I've seen eagles trying to get into the flow and they're, you know, and they're, it's all kinds of stuff, which probably is, yeah, I'm not going to go there. And then he compares all of these things when they are in their fullest glory to the way of a man and a woman in the sexual act. Now, immediately, immediately he switches gears and he, he takes it from the majesty and the beauty of these things. And then he says, but the way of an adulteress is she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. I just picture her burping or belching at that point. And he, he wants it to be from where you see it as beautiful, where you see it as God created it and satisfying and fulfilling, and then suddenly all it is is consumption. All it is now is an appetite. And once you get your fill, you move on to the next taste that you want. See, we go from the wonder and the beauty and the mystery of sex with marriage and contrast it to the appetite of the adulteress. Here, here's what this means. You and I should be able to discern and to distinguish in our wisdom. We should be able to distinguish between commercial relationships and social relationships. The distinction between the two is this. In a commercial relationship, the, the point and the purpose is for you to be a consumer. The purpose of a social relationship is for you to be a committed party. I don't know about you, but I would say the trait I most love in people is loyalty. I love when people are loyal because I know, I know my contradictions. I know my weak spots. I know the places where, I, I, you know, there's dark side in me. And I, I absolutely love having people who know me, but I know have my back. But you only have that if, if you have commitment. For example, let's put it this way. Let's suppose that all of your relationships were consumer relations, which is increasingly for the last 40 years, most relationships are consumer relationships. For example, in New City, we have, we have three supermarkets. Okay? All right, there's one you want to go to if you want the cheaper price. There's one you want to go to if you want, because it's bigger, cleaner, maybe has more uh, products, but it's also more expensive. There's one that's incredibly expensive, but their customer service is amazing. So depending on your mood that day, like how quick you want to get in and get out, how much you want to pay, depending on that, you decide which one you're going to go to. And sometimes you cheat on all of them and go to Fairway. <laughs> or maybe you make a trip on your day off to Trader Joe's. You know, uh, you cheat all the way down in New Jersey or somewhere, you know. And so, see, why do you do that? Because 
depending on your mood or your need or whatever, you're going to choose that supermarket. And, and you might even go to the produce place over across uh, 304 or whatever, and you, you might go there. But, uh, and the other thing is, if one time you have a bad experience, in it, it will take forever till you go back. See, that's consumerism. And so if we begin to treat sex like supermarkets, then you're just groceries to me. You see what I'm talking about here? So here, these are the old sages, the wise men of God. They're speaking to young men, and they're saying to them this. You must never give someone your body unless you're willing to give them all of yourself. And you should never receive somebody's body unless they are also giving to you all of their self. See, the biblical view of sex is self-donation, not just consumer. You're not groceries. You're a person. And here's the interesting thing in the scriptures is that such a high view of sex that it says that when you unite your body, you're uniting your soul. Now, let me make this even maybe a step more practical. When you get married, you are actually giving yourself and you're receiving the other person. You're sharing control of yourself and your decisions with one who is sharing herself or himself with you. Now, I kind of wish someone had told me this when I was a, a young man. I'm not sure I would have listened because sometimes we get a little bit too wise for our own good. But can you imagine, when you think about the sexual attraction piece, think about, but is this a person I want knowing my checking account? Is this a person I want to be able to sign on my checking account? Or is this the father that I want for my children? Is this the teacher that I want for my children, is this the leader that I want spiritually to lead me and my family? Is this a person that I know that when I'm not there, they are dominated by their, their thoughts are dominated by me? Or will, there, will this well be all over town? Or will this fountain go anywhere and everywhere and try to make sure that I don't know about it? See, if we're not asking those questions, then all we're doing is we're succumbing to the very consumerism of the world. And we have a low understanding of sexuality and of marriage. And instead, we find ourselves as those who are full of folly and who are entangled in a world that will not satisfy us. So the second thing is this. Our, our culture also... When it undervalues sex and says it's nothing more than groceries or nothing more than an appetite. It also overvalues then sexual attraction and physical beauty. In, in chapter 11, verse 16, and then later in chapter 11, I think it's around verse 30, there's, there's these two really powerful teachings. The first one I want to grab hold of is this one with you. Okay, there's this picture there where it says, as a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman lacking discretion. Now, 
before you beautiful women get offended. I, I want you to understand what this means. I always, I always just thought, well, there's this con contrast between a beautiful ring and a hog and all that kind of stuff. That's not what he's talking about. What the wise men are saying is this, is the gold ring is the external. It's the physical beauty. And we men who are often uh, dizzied by shiny things <laughs> grab hold of the gold ring thinking, beautiful, treasure, perfect, only to realize it's connected to an interior that's a hog. That's what it means. It means that you've been deceived, you've been overwhelmed, you've been dizzied by the beauty and physical and sexual attractiveness of someone, and then you, read, you pull, and, and that ring is now connected to something that's, that eats its own slop and rolls around in its own poop. And you go, what did I get? There's this huge thing in our society, in our culture, that says if someone is externally beautiful, that's the only thing that matters. And there's this, there is a thing that many, many of us have begun to believe, and that is that it doesn't matter if a woman has character as long as she has beauty. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. And see, you've got to hear what his heart here. It's so powerful. Because he says, when he says a gracious woman gets honor and a violent man gets riches, what he's, this is an indictment of men. He's indicting men here because he's saying men will use whatever methodology, charm, deceit, playerism, <laughs> whatever that might be, whatever it is that they need in order to win a beautiful woman's heart, but they're doing it not because he loves that woman, but because he believes having a beautiful woman will make him important. That's what it's saying. He actually uses that word riches is not the word riches. It's, it's the Hebrew word kabod. And kabod is a word like glory. It, it's used of God, the glory of God. And it's the belief here is saying that the man uses a woman and her beauty and her sexuality to make himself feel as if he were a god. Guess what? You can see the deceit in that. So what happens is then there's a dehumanizing that happens because of this violence inside. In the uh, world that we live in, one of the peculiar things is temptations is that a woman ties her self-worth and her value to how physically attractive she is. Do you know that eating disorders are much higher, like a like couple of times higher in the, in the industrial world than it is in the, the underdeveloped world? And two times higher among Western educated women. Do you, do you understand what that means? That means the closer you get to the Western ideal, the farther you get from being satisfied. Because then you have to, you have to starve yourself. Uh, as a matter of fact, anytime you live near any of the cultural centers like New York or L.A., you're never pretty enough. You're never thin enough. You're never attractive enough. And until, see, until we get that that's a trap... That's a trap that has a ring that's attached to a hog. 
Am I making sense to this morning? Well, and then it's destructive to men in so many ways. Number one is this. To be intimate with a person, friends, any of you that have tremendous relationships, marriages, friendships, to truly be intimate with someone is not easy. It is not easy. And so false intimacy is easy, but it's false. False intimacy is waiting for you on your computer. It's waiting for you on your DVR. It's waiting for you on your tablet. It's waiting for you all over the place, but it's false. And even though it can have some measure of sexual stimulation, it has no intimacy satisfaction. And you were made for intimacy. Second thing is this. And, and this, is, this is important in two ways. It's important for those of you who are thinking about getting married, and it's important for those of you who already are married. See, the way in which man, a man decides in our culture, our consumer culture, who he's going to date or marry is also destructive right now. Immediately, men disqualify very qualified women in their lives simply because they're not pretty enough. This is Tim Keller uh, said this, and I wrote it down. He said... Then they find a woman that qualifies in the beauty department, but are disappointed that this beautiful woman is superficial. This is fascinating because it's obvious the man is superficial. Come on. He's upset with her because she's superficial, but he's top to bottom superficial. And guess what? What's going to happen? You. No matter, no matter what, we're going to get older. Now, you can have a lot of surgeries. And you can do a lot of injections and stuff, but you never get your youth back. Babies come, stretch bodies in all kinds of ways. Gravity comes, stretch bodies in all kinds of ways. It doesn't say just be intoxicated with your wife's breasts when they're young. Are you hearing me? Well, so let me just, let me put this in one other perspective for you. Even modern psychologists, even evolutionist psychologists have noticed this thing about this need for beauty. And here's what they've come up with, and I thought it was helpful. I either need to be beautiful or with someone beautiful. This is the, this is the syndrome in a way. And so... The reason that they've said, this is the psychology, they said it's because I'm not sure that I'm okay. So if I'm with someone beautiful, I must be okay. But here's what I've found doing hundreds and thousands of counseling appointments, is if you're not feeling okay, and you marry someone who you think will make you feel okay, now you suspect them because how could they love you since you're not okay? So there must be something not okay about them. <laughs> See, what we, don't want to, what we don't really want to admit is we're scared to die. Particularly we men, as we get older, we think if you have a younger woman, you'll live forever. So we find we need a power. We need a power. Well, let me just, let me talk about this power thing, Okay. Let me tell you why, why I want, want you to understand this. It's because 
you are bombarded every day with consumer sex. From your toothpaste to your dandruff shampoo. And if you just say, I'm going to try to be better, you will fail. So there has to be something in you that begins to say to you that you are beautiful. That you are lovely. That you're not a hog. You're not a gold ring with a hog attached to it. But in order for that to happen, then someone lovely who has unchanging beauty loves you. And you see, the whole of the marriage thing and why it's not just sex fulfillment, but marriage is this big, huge, beautiful picture of the love of God and the majesty and the mystery of God is because the scripture says that your marriage is just like Christ's love for the church. I liked it earlier when Jude was saying that we are the sheep of his pasture, but see, sheep are dumb animals. He doesn't want dumb animals. He wants lovers of lovers. He's a lover of your soul, and he wants you to love him as much as he loves you. And that when you recognize that being loved by someone so beautiful makes you lovable, it changes everything. Now, let me, let me, give, you a, let me give you one really powerful reason to love him so much. There was a woman in Scripture named Rachel. Okay, now remember Rachel. Now, she was one of the most beautiful women of the Old Testament. She is, her beauty was proclaimed. Now, there's a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 53, and it uses the same words to describe negatively Jesus as it described positively Rachel. Rachel was said to be beautiful and shapely. Jesus was described as not beautiful and not shapely. Got it? There's, a, there's intent there. Okay, there's intent. So, so listen to this. Jacob was a, a hound dog like the rest of us. Okay? He knew he was messed up on the inside, so he played like he was something else on the outside. And he went to his uncle Laban, and he had to... He had to work, and he saw Rachel, and he said, if I had that beautiful woman, then I would be somebody. So he worked for seven years, and his uncle was as trickster as he was. At the end of the seven years, he gets married. You don't get to see your wife because there's a veil. He takes her to bed. He pulls back the veil. It's not Rachel. It's Leah. And it said, Leah was the un-Rachel. She was cross-eyed, she, she was not shapely, she was everything that nobody wanted. Her father didn't even want her. She had a face even her mother hated. Okay, I'm a straight Bible. Guess who wanted Leah? God. Jesus didn't come from Rachel. Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother is Leah. You hear that, friends? Jesus came to show us what real beauty is. When you pull that ring, you don't get a hog. You get the real gold. 
to get the real gold. When you think about that, then you, you go, wow, okay, the one who loved me left his beauty and glory in heaven. He was always the son of God. He always will be the son of God. He always had the father's pleasure on him. He was the darling of heaven. There is no more beautiful being. There is no more beautiful one than Jesus. He is the bright and morning star. But when he came here, he came through Leah. Having no form, shapely, no beauty that drew attention, and yet beauty from the inside out. And it is that beauty that he endows you with. So that instead of insecurity, you have security. Instead of insignificance, you have significance. And instead of rejected, you are accepted. And see, when you hold on to that, then you can say, I don't need my fountain to go everywhere. I can invest in my one well, my one cistern. I don't need my well to be filled with every fountain. I need just one fountain. Because I am loved. Because I am worthy. Because I am not the adulteress and I am not the adulterer. I am a man after God's own heart. I am a woman after God's own heart. And see, you can never say you're not beautiful if the beautiful one calls you beautiful. You can never say that you're unlovable if the, if the beautiful one says you're lovable. See, he's the only one that could touch the lepers and the lepers get clean and he doesn't get unclean. He's the only one who could touch death and get life. And he's the only one who can make you soar, make you sail, and make you move. Let's accept him afresh today. The lover of our soul. Would you stand with me? There's a, the song that we sang was the second song. And there's so many phrases in there that are so connected with what I'm sharing to you today. But one of them is this, is that he takes the black and white, the, the lack of color in your life, and he puts color back in. It's such, a, it's such a vivid thing that he wants to bring life where you have had death. He wants to bring health where you have had folly. He wants to bring wisdom where you've been foolish. He alone can untangle you from the cords. I mean, some of you have believed that on the one hand, you want to follow God, but you're following your fountain or you're following your well. And the enemy is often, even in worship, the enemy has at times said, you can't be a Christian. You can't have those thoughts and be a Christian. I'm saying to you today, this is where a battle wages. It's a battle for your mind. And if the first thing in your mind would be this, Jesus was born of Leah, took on himself that which was not beautiful, that which was not shapely, and he made beauty something more than just skin deep. He made it from the inside out. Here's what I've, I've come to know is that because my wife loves me, I'm more beautiful. I'm more confident. I'm more alive. But even more because my Savior loves me. 
He's always loyal. He's always trustworthy. You can share your checkbook with him. You can share your children with him. You can share your future with him. Because he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. We have some prayer ministers here today. If you come forward, just you guys that pray up here with people, would you come forward? I feel like the Lord wants to touch marriages today. Maybe even, you know, you've got a good marriage, but you're saying, I want to sail like a ship on the sea. I want to soar like an eagle. I want to move. I want to move just so incredibly well together. And you just want to pray about it. You might say, say, today is the day we want to go from mediocre to greatness. We want to go from some intimacy to full intimacy with one another. Or maybe even you're here and, and you're, you're a young person and you're saying, I, I, want, I, want, I don't want to make the wrong choices. Let someone come and pray with you. Or maybe even, you know, I had a lot of sexual brokenness in my life. And it was only through Jesus healing that. I mean, I could, I could try to get more willpower, but willpower is just suppressing what's still in there. I wanted freedom. I didn't just want refraining. I wanted freedom. And only in the power of Jesus can there be freedom. Lord, we bless what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen.